Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org T's and C's apply This is a game day podcast from TalkSport Hello and welcome to the game day podcast from TalkSport with me Sam Matterface Danny Mills the former England right back and TalkSport's Alex Crook as Manchester City win the Carabao Cup again It's time for a cup final with 8,000 fans and two of the greatest teams in the land and the best commentary team in the business by the byline, crosses the ball, it's headed in brilliantly! Emmerich Laporte beyond Hugo Lloris and Manchester City are going to continue their love affair with the Carabao Cup. Loads of reaction to come, including Danny Mills saying that if Harry Kane wants to win titles, then he should move across London. If Harry Kane wants to win something, where's he got a better chance, do you think, next season? Chelsea or Manchester United? I'd, I'd probably say Chelsea. You know, he's not concerned about that. If he wants, if he's leaving Tottenham to win trophies, he goes where he's going to go with the best chance and gets the most money. Plus, wretched Wolves when City can win the title, VAR shockers, and why Arteta is pleased that the attention is elsewhere. All on the ultimate review of all the weekend's footballing action from Talksport. It's the Game Day Podcast. And a big hello to Danny Mills and Alex Crook. Uh, it's been quite some week and I suppose an interesting weekend in, in a sense in the fact that I was writing down the scores earlier on, apart from sort of the Burnley match. There's a lot of binary scores, aren't there? You know, ones, nils, ones, nils, nil, nils, one, ones. I mean, you know, obviously the Aston Villa match just finished and it was a dramatic finish with Davis getting the equaliser right at the end. It's probably relegated West Bromwich Albion. But it hasn't been the... Um, it hasn't been a weekend full of goal mouth action, has it? No, it hasn't. I had the misfortune of commentating Manchester United's trip to Leeds, which under normal circumstances would be very spiky, fiery encounter. There was none of that. It was really drab, to be honest. I was disappointed with both teams. I don't actually think uh, with a full house at Ellen Road, they would have been allowed to play out the type of game that they did. Mm, yeah, most of the action took place off the pitch, really, even on Friday night when I know, Crookie, you were outside the Emirates Stadium. We'll get to that a little bit later on. Danny, um, what was the highlight of your weekend? Oh, I think Manchester City, obviously winning the cup for the fourth time in a row. You know, four, four years running to win any competition because, yes, you have to be a fantastic team, but you need a bit of luck as well. And also, the, the way they battered Spurs. I know it was only 1-0 but they battered Spurs. Yep. You know, it was just an absolute mauling. And Tottenham did not turn up. Why they got rid of Jose, I've no idea. I've got half a guess. But, I mean, it was just a ridiculous decision. Okay, we'll get to that. Um, I, my highlight of the week was Pep Guardiola coming up to me after the game and saying to me that he has been watching me on the internet. He said to me, I saw you on the internet this week. I was going through Twitter. That's, that's a worry. <laughs> and, you were, and you were interviewing Toby Alderweireld. I went, yeah, I, I was. He said, it was a very good interview. I said, all right, are you following me on Twitter then? And he said, no, 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 no. I was just jealous that you were speaking to him and not me. I was like, well, you know, all those, all those days when we've sort of danced around, you know, pushing each other in the back, over in the playground, all that kind of stuff. The flirting has worked in the end. Right, let's get to the action. Foden read it, comes back to Sterling, inside the box, turns, fires, great block by uh, Eric Dyer, and it's cleared away by Tottenham. Great chance for Sterling. It's into Alderweireld, who's going to shoot from distance, and it wasn't too far away. 
Toby Alderweire with Tottenham's first real effort on goal. Straight to Mares, who's found De Bruyne down the right side of the penalty area, in towards the back post. It's stopped, but it's going to come back to Foden. Oh my word, how has that stayed out? It's the defender, Alderweire, has yep. got a left knee on it that's deflected it onto the post. Quite an incredible two great blocks. One by Dyer, one by Odovaro. In towards Mares, left footy drive, and it's just over the top of the crossbar from 25 yards. An arcing effort which was dipping viciously almost as it reached the net, and it just was a millimetre over the top. What Spurs have got to do is try to get a period of possession just to get them up the pitch a little bit. Into uh, Lo Celso. Lo Celso tries to bend one towards the far corner. It's a terrific save down low by Stefan. Listen to that. Listen to that noise no augmented reality sound effects no fake crowd noise real stuff right footed by the byline crosses the ball it's headed in brilliantly Emmerich Laporte beyond Hugo Lloris and Manchester City are going to continue their love affair with the Carabao Cup the 2021 Carabao Cup winners are Manchester City they've beaten Tottenham by a goal to nil And the action was certainly at Wembley, all in the Tottenham Hotspur half, especially in that first half. Manchester City winning 1-0 eventually, an Emmerich Laporte goal. Uh, Later on in the game, sealed four straight Carabao Cup wins for Pep Guardiola. He's the only manager who's ever done that because the, uh, the Liverpool triumphs were three for Paisley and one for Joe Fagan, I think. Uh, but um, look, it, it wasn't much of a match, was it, really? Manchester City were all over them. The only, I mean, the only thought I had in my head was this is one of those games where Tottenham might nick it late on or something like that, Danny. But did you ever feel that way or did you think oh, they'll get a goal eventually? No, I didn't. It, it, if you look, go back to the league game where Tottenham played in a similar sort of way, but they played with much more energy. They had a clear plan in that game. It was an a class A Mourinho performance, you know, when they beat Manchester City. I mean, Harry Kane was playing centre-half at times in that game. He was all over the place, but they worked incredibly hard. Hadn't they? Ju- I think they just come back from internationals and they, they'd all done all their prep from videos and whatever it might have been, or that was the, the room and that was the, the spin that Mourinho was putting on it. But you could tell they'd worked on stuff. They had a real focus and idea of what they were doing. Today, they just looked lost. Uh, and I don't blame Ryan Mason for that. But what else is he expected to do? He's younger than some of the team members. You know, how much authority did he have to... Do you think that's a really significant thing, the fact that oh, he huge. is? huge. Huge. Five years younger than Loris, three years younger than <coughs> Alderweireld, two years younger than... Yes, because if you walk into a dressing room, you get instant respect because of either you've been a magnificent player or your history as a coach and what you've achieved or the reputation you have as a coach of being, you know, innovative and, and very, very good. He's got none of those things. Apart from being a nice guy, why is Harry Kane suddenly going to listen to the youth team manager telling him what to do? I mentioned this? that I'd spoke to Toby Alderweireld this week and, and he was sort of like, you know, one of the great things about having Ryan Mason in charge is it's quite a collegiate affair. We debate it. We talk about how the best way of... Um, the, play, the players are in control, then, is what but, you mean. But, 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 but when it comes down to it, he's the boss, and if he tells us to do it this way, we'll do it that way. Yeah, but of course he's going to say that in an interview. What, what, what else can he say? We're going to ignore Ryan Mason and do what we want to do. You know, that, that's effectively what they, they did. I know I'm you working know. with the world's two biggest cynics tonight. Well, no, but it's just, it's just a fact. You know, that, that's what it is. You know, just imagine that, you know... Uh, an apprentice radio presenter or a radio producer comes in and says, Sam, we're not going to do this today. We're going to completely change the show and we're going to do it completely differently. You'd be the first one to go, no, 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 no. That's not how I've always done it. I know how it works. This is what I do. It's just, you know, it's, that's life. It's how it is. And I think it was an unfair position to put Ryan Mason in so close to, to the cup final. And, and I never thought Spurs really were, had, had a chance. Let's credit Manchester City um, to win that trophy four times in a row. Takes and doing. I think it's also a sign of the respect that Pep Guardiola has for the League Cup. And I think that is something that should be cherished when other big managers, other big clubs maybe have disrespected it over the past few years. So Mm. fair play to them. Um, They look comfortable. I thought Foden was terrific at, at Wembley again. 
Raheem Sterling possibly guilty of overtrying. I think he's in desperate need of some goals to get. I his thought he was terrific today. Back I on track, he was absolutely terrific today. That the runs that he makes, stretching the defence, running at uh, players, committing defenders. He forced uh, Serge Aurier into the area to give the free kick away that came to the goal. You know, he looked like a player who'd been told he hasn't been playing very well, and he was determined to try and prove that he's still got great ability. I, I thought his decision making in the final third possibly left a little bit to be desired because he knows he's not on the best run of form but maybe I'm being overly harsh but they would deserve winners but from Tottenham I'd almost repeat the comments I made about Southampton when they were in the FA Cup semi-final a couple of weeks ago Tottenham don't get to too many finals they've been mocked for the fact they don't get to too many finals they want to leave it all out there I don't think they did that I thought they were passive um, I thought Harry Kane clearly wasn't fit and it goes back to the point that Danny was making really and you've mentioned it. he is Ryan Mason's best mate if Ryan Mason said to him, I don't think you're fit, I'm not going to pick you, I'd imagine that conversation would have turned the other way very quickly. Kane was always going to play. Uh, Son, devastated at the end, but he didn't have any kind of impact on the game. But you go through the Tottenham team man for man, apart from Kane, because I don't think Son is world-class, it's, it, it's not a team that's geared up to win trophies. And that's why this is a massive appointment. Whoever comes in needs to do an awful lot of surgery to that squad to get them challenging where... Daniel Levy, having moved to that massive new stadium, wants to get Tottenham challenging. Because at the moment, you take Kane out of the team, they're a mid-table side. OK, uh, obviously we've had this chat about Daniel Levy and why he made the decision last week. So let's talk about what happens in the future because Julian Nagelsmann is definitely going to Bayern Munich. We know that. We've known that for a while. Maurizio Sarri is the favourite for the job. Um, I mean, that to me seems like a very odd decision, bearing in mind as a Chelsea manager. Again, doesn't look particularly good. Won't go down well with the Spurs fans. But also, he actually struggled in the Premier League, hated being in the Premier League because he couldn't smoke for a start. Um, he also couldn't um, communicate the way he wanted to and he hated doing interviews. Who can they attract, Danny? What sort of level of manager can they attract and who should they give the job to? Because Ryan Mason is actually the third favourite for the job. Which is an embarrassment, really, if I'm honest. You know, I said Ryan Mason might be the nicest guy on the planet. He might be a very good youth team coach but that's what he is you know no real experience and, and for whatever everyone goes on about he's a Tottenham man well he was at Hull when he got injured you know first and foremost it's not like he was a Tottenham legend it's not like it's Frank Lampard or Steven Gerrard that has won pretty much there ever you know there is to win in the game you know has, has played at the highest level you know around the world and commands respect from that he's been coaching the youth team effectively and, and the kids at Tottenham that doesn't give you any credentials. So if he's third favourite, it just goes to show what a, a lack of interest there may be in, in the Spurs job because I think when Mourinho came in, we all thought, right, okay, we know what Mourinho does. He buys pieces and he makes the perfect jigsaw. But if you don't give Mourinho money to spend, that's never going to happen. Not once at a club has he ever brought players on. He's never thrown the, the kids in and developed them. Everywhere he's gone, he's brought senior players and he's won trophies by doing that. And I think it was maybe a bit unfair. He was probably promised that by Daniel Levy. It didn't happen. And he's, he's known for a long time that he wanted a decent defence. He wanted a decent defence at Manchester United and didn't get it. Went to Tottenham, didn't get a decent defence. And that's what all, every single team Mourinho has ever been at has always been about the defence and being very, very solid. And he's been able to play off the back of that. So the next appointment, there'll be lots of people that would be willing to take it, but who can take them to the next level? Now that's going to be the difficult. I've heard, what is the next level for Tottenham Hotspur? It's the Pochettino level of being competitive and being in the top four regularly. That's so you're where they for need a to be. Coach with a with good ideas who's going to come in and motivate the group that they've already got without well, it spending too much money. Doesn't have to be a young money. coach. It has to be a decent coach. It has to be a good coach that comes in and gets those. Harry Kane's got a decision now to make in the summer. Does he mm. stay or does he go? It's his last opportunity probably to leave, you know, and, and get that big contract. If he goes, who else goes? Well, you know what? I'm thinking of leaving. I've heard Eddie Howe's name mentioned. He got relegated. He got a team relegated. Can't handle you know? big personalities either. No, exactly. You know, you've, it's a very difficult, it's a difficult job because the expectations are way above reality. I think, because with the, as, as Alex said, with the squad that they've got, they probably should be finishing seventh or eighth. If you lose Harry Kane, that's mid-table. Yeah. And then and they they may... will, but they will expect you to be in the top four with that squad. 
And that's they, the difficulty. I, I think they probably will lose someone big in the summer. I don't know if it'll be Harry Kane. I mean, if Harry Kane really wants to go and win titles now, then I'm afraid that it looks like he's going to have to move on to do that. And I don't think that Spurs fans will be happy about that. They don't like us talking about it. But ultimately, you know, Dimitar Berbatov was quite open about this this week when he was talking about this situation. Harry's in the same position I find myself in when I was at Tottenham. If I wanted to go on and win the league and fulfil my ambitions then I, I needed to move to a bigger club and he may well have to do that. So but that's, I think, a separate debate for another day. Manager is the most significant position, maybe, that needs to be filled. I wonder whether or not they, they will show an interest in Scott Parker. That would be where my money would go um, for the reasons that... And when I said that to you when he first got sacked, what did you say to me? Well, I mocked it because for me, you know my views on Scott Parker, nice bloke, dresses well, hasn't actually achieved that much in the game as a manager. And, um, a bit it, like me. <laughs> well, apart from the nice bloke bit um, but you know it, again I guess it, it, this is going to be a real test of Daniel Levy's ambitions because if he does hire Scott Parker that to me doesn't smack of a team that want to challenge for the top four the Champions League and, and, and to try and win the Premier League I think if they went for Brendan Rodgers at Leicester I don't think he'd take it but at least that would be a sign of ambition but isn't that the problem doesn't matter who they go for no disrespect Brendan's not going to take it Nagelsmann's not going to take it Nuno may take it if he was fired, but then He's again, you're talking about a guy who's Nuno. gone on a downward trajectory rather than an upward trajectory. You know, who's going to take it that is out there? Who is, who is this, this guy that's going to rescue Spurs? I'm not sure that that person exists, you know. Well, do you know what this goes back to? Because you know who would be perfect to come in at Tottenham and, and rejuvenate them and try and get the best out of some young players? Maurizio Pochettino. Yeah, he's moved on, him. though. He's at a different level now, mate. He's at pre-SG. He's in the Champions League semi-finals. Tottenham ain't going anywhere near that. No, I'm, I'm not saying it's a serious appointment. I'm being facetious because the best man for the job was in the job and Daniel Levy decided to sack him because he had this relentless pursuit of silverware. And then Jose Mourinho comes in. You know he's going to annoy the dressing room. Um, you know he's going to annoy you. You know the fans are going to hate the football, but you're willing to put all that on the line because he delivers silverware. And then you sack him a week before he gets the chance to deliver silverware in a cup final. The whole thing is absolutely bonkers. They should never have sacked Maurizio Pochettino. Okay, Danny, City, do they need a striker? Because um, although they created a lot of chances today, they didn't actually get on the score sheet until they scored via a set piece from Emmerich Laporte. I think they need somebody. Whether they need a Harry Kane or not, you know, someone that's going to score you 25 goals a season, maybe not is the answer to that. But maybe they need a striker for a plan B. I know they've got Gabriel Jesus, but he's never quite done it. You know, there might be some games where you look at and just think, okay, we need something a little bit different. You know, we need, if we're going to whip balls into the box, Kevin De Bruyne, we need someone to get on the end of it, you know, and, and head it in the back of the net when you're yeah. playing maybe Burnley or Watford or whoever it might be. So, yes, I think they do need a striker. Uh, I think they've done incredibly well, obviously, without Sergio Aguero this season. He, he's hardly kicked a ball. He's obviously not going to be there next season. But maybe they don't need the category one type striker, you know, the, the world-class striker. Maybe they can sort of, you know, they can fish in that pond a, a couple of levels down to get somebody in that can do it. Almost like a Giroud type figure that can hold the ball up at times, that can be a foil for teams. You know, they can play the ball into him. Imagine Giroud and, and players, imagine Sterling, Foden. Someone, making someone like Claudio Pizarro, is he still going? I mean, I'm sure he is. I mean, he was always playing. Even <laughs> He's his... older than Danny. I was going to say, yeah. he's 97, isn't he? Yeah, he's still playing though, right? Because he's, he's never given up. I, I, that, that's the sort of player, and I, maybe, you know, Giroud is probably a little bit too old to do the closing down bit, but, but a player of, of that ilk that is obviously, has got experience, a bit like Dzeko perhaps was for, for Manchester City. You know, that, that tall striker that offers something a little bit different to what they have now, because they can play the false nine. They can play any number of players in that number nine position. But sometimes you just need something different in a game. Mount just by the edge of the area. In the centre is Werner and Ben Chilwell. Comes to Werner, right-footed hook volley. And it's over the top of the crossbar. He's missed the target again. Out to the left, Chilwell, low ball into Werner. He can't miss from there. Seven yards out, strokes the ball home. He celebrates a rare goal for Chelsea. And Chelsea are in front. A brilliant counter-attack down the left, led by Chilwell, centre to Timo Werner. 
and Chelsea's Champions League charge has just got a big power-up. A low ball comes back to Fredericks. A right-footed oh. shot. It's blocked on the edge of the six-yard box by Mason Mount back there helping out. And then firing oh. it towards goal on the volley was Lingard. It just swirls away at the last. Werner centrally is Mount, who strikes from distance and Fabianski makes a great save. The follow-up from Werner is missed from four yards out. Wow. Still 1-0. Here's Mount again from distance towards oh. the far corner. Another flying save from Fabianski. Here is uh, Werner trying to put play to any points for West Ham. Down the right, comes back in on his left foot, drives the ball towards the near post. Fabianski pushing it away again. Great work again from Timo Werner. Been very impressed with the German's movement for his team today. Nasty challenge, that one. There is a problem here for Ben Chilwell, who has gone down over on the far side. And after kicking through the ball, Balbuena has left his studs up and planted them into the shin of the England left fullback. And VAR is looking at a possible red card here. Fabian Balbuena has been sent off for his follow through on Ben Chilwell. West Ham are one nil down, and now they are down to 10 men. Yeah. West Ham beaten by Chelsea by goal to nil. Obviously, I worked with Stuart Pearce on Sunday and I spoke to David Moy straight after the game. Four, five players short, best players. Some of their most influential players were out injured. Um, I think Chelsea approached the game well. They dominated possession. It wasn't particularly swashbuckling. I think two or three nil would probably have flattered them, but actually you could have seen them scoring more goals as well. Werner did manage to score his first goal since February. Nine of his 11 goals actually have come in London, uh, but he also managed to miss several chances too. Um, but what does this do for, for Chelsea? I mean, obviously it doesn't cement a place in the top four, Danny, because they've still got some tough fixtures to come. The right, race is still going to be tight, isn't it? Of course it is. Um, yeah, and what sort of five, six games to go, there's going to be some twists and turns, you know, coming through this. And obviously Chelsea have got some huge games midweek uh, and the week after that, you know, may well take their focus off things. But they've, they've got themselves in a position now where it's, it's bizarre, isn't it? You know, people moan about Mourinho-style football. Is Tuchel's football that much better than Mourinho's? You know, when, when he was at Chelsea, uh, you know, when Mourinho was at his best, it's organised, it's defensive play on the counter-attack at times and, and use play, pace and, and use four players to go and attack. It's not dissimilar to what uh, Thomas Tuchel is doing at the moment. I think but they when, keep the ball better, don't they? And they, 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 A lot of it is based on possession. The more you have the ball, the less you can allow anybody else to, to conjure an attack. Yeah, but Chelsea at times were, were fabulous under Mourinho and, and they kept the ball, they dominated. They were you know, so solid in spells one and two when Mourinho was successful. But when you're winning, no one cares really how you play. You know, it, gets, it gets smoothed over. You know, as long as you're winning football matches is absolutely fine. At the moment, Chelsea are more organised. They, you know, they are pragmatic at times. And they've got in this habit of, of just keep winning. I mean, they're clearly helped by uh, the most ridiculous sending off I've seen, I think, this season. You know, ridiculous. I, I hate using the phrase, people that haven't played the game don't understand it. But I think that was the perfect opportunity. Because it, it makes you sound like, like you guys have got no idea what you're talking about when you say things like that. But you have. No, because the, we all agree with you. <laughs> well, no, but the, but the referees that looked at that have got no got understanding of football. You know, the, reason of they, the, the reason, I mean, look, we, look the decision is, is probably justifiable in law you can make a case for it if you really try hard and look at the wording of the law, which we did, and we've gone through it, endangering a safe, uh, the safety of an opponent. Um, I think I sent Crookie the, the wording from Chris Foy, prom, former Premier League referee, but also a guy who works for the PGMOL and does advise them over the course of the, the, the season. And uh, he wrote an article in the Sunday uh, Daily Mail, uh, on the Mail on Sunday, uh, saying that, Chris Kavanagh was right to send off Balbuena uh, because um, what he does is he, he, he didn't see the initial incident. Peter Banks tells him to check it. Um, Chris goes to the review area and looks at the challenge. He's asking himself these questions. Is there excessive force? Yes. Has the West Ham player endangered the safety of an opponent? Yes. So in both cases, that's clear. And referees are there to look after the welfare of the players and therefore, that is a red card. So that, the problem they, they, is, the problem you're is refereeing, here, you're refereeing by outcome, yeah, not by actually what's here, happened. And this is what I said to Crookie earlier on. 
this is a checklist red card. Instead of actually looking at what led up to it and putting a football context around it, you're looking at the events that follow the collision. Because they're talking, those things that, uh, that he's um, listed, is there excessive force? Was the West Ham player endangering the safety of an opponent? Yes, but those are about, those are in the laws to protect people during tackles. This wasn't a tackle. This was someone kicking a football. I, I, I would so, say so that the if, context if you, is wrong. Of course it is. You can apply that, those laws to every single overhead kick where a player is going to go and try and exactly. head the ball exactly. and, the player, and the player gets his foot to it first. But they're not it, challenges, it, are they? And this law is about challenges yeah. and they've applied the wrong law, I think. I, I, I think it's ludicrous because when a player goes in like that, I've been there. I've been on the end of them. I've made them. You make that pass up the line. You hit that channel ball, whatever it might be. You follow through. You straighten your leg, knowing full well you're going to catch the opponent. There's a second movement that you see when that happens. You don't see that in that incidence. It's a natural movement that his foot goes through and it comes down. And unfortunately, it catches the player. That's that. If Chilwell stays on his feet and, and doesn't you know, go down squealing, no issue. That was, my, that was my problem with it, or one of my problems. And, and we're seeing this time and again. We're going to talk about the United-Leeds game later. Marcus Rashford, every time he was touched in that game, we went down looking for a free kick. And Chilwell's reaction, I know he said to you, Sam, in an interview afterwards that it hurt and he told the referee it hurt. That happened on a Sunday morning and you're the left winger and the right back smashes the ball up the pitch after 15 pints the night before and he catches you on the follow-through. You might say to him, steady on, mate. But you wouldn't go down squealing like Chilwell did. And I, I think that had a big impact on the decision that the referee and the VAR made. Do you, I spoke to Stuart Pearce about this and I asked, I raised that with him. I said to him, did you think that Chilwell was excessive in his reaction? And he said, absolutely not. He said, the only person that was genuine in the whole thing was Ben Chilwell. He said, because when that happens to you, it does hurt. Of course it hurts. And you do go down and he goes, but ultimately the referee should know and should realise what the situation is. He was quite defensive about yeah, it. Yeah, well, maybe he was. Maybe it's a left-back union. Um, but but I, <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would always say that if you're really hurt, you don't roll around squealing. I mean, I stubbed my toe early. I think I've possibly broken a toe. And it was one of those cartoon moments where you sort of like, you, you hold everything in because you don't want to swear because it mm -hmm. is really painful. And you get that sort of little bit of a sicky feeling. Not rolling around the garage floor you know, because I've kicked the step and, and because no one's coming. You're, you're doing, that's for effect. When you get really hurt and you know when it, you've been really hurt, you just lay there and you try and recover and you try and catch your breath or you're just thinking, wow, now where do I go with this? Please stop. Please stop in a minute. Please stop hurting. I think apart from the sending off decision, I don't think it really influenced the outcome of the game. And I think that's a pretty sort of common view when you watch the match. You, Chelsea were in charge of it and they were going to win it anyway. I did think that maybe the more I watched the Athbilicueta handball, um, I thought, hmm, actually, do you know what? But then again, another checklist decision. Because his arm is by his side and not out wide, it means that he's in a natural position. But actually, if you're trying to get out of the way, your arms would go out like that to get out of the way of the ball to not touch it. But actually, by putting his arm closer to his body, he actually makes the surface area bigger and prevents the ball from going near the goal. It's a little bit like the Luke Shaw one in, in the Leeds game today. You know, it clearly hits Luke Shaw's arm. You know, the, the referee will say, well, he didn't make himself bigger. He did lean towards the ball and he stops the ball going through to Helder Costa who has a touch and has a free shot at goal. Again, we just, we've got no idea what's a penalty, what isn't. We've got no ideas about the law anymore. because Well, we haven't, because they're, they're, so in, they're so inconsistent. It is, and I heard someone say this on TV today, you know, the problem is not necessarily the VAR, it's actually the laws. I think some of the officials have let themselves down, and clearly in this case yesterday, I think that was, that, that was the case. Um, right, let's um, move on to Liverpool against Newcastle, 1-1. Uh, another game that was uh, sort of challenged by VAR. The handball decision, absolutely right in law. Ridiculous. And that is the reason that I probably mentioned the fact that it's not... But go, but go, back, go back to that, Sam, and, and I agree with you, that by law, it hits his hand, it's disallowed. Yeah. But why does it hit his hand? It hits somebody his else pushes it onto because him. Trent Alexander pushes him. Yeah. So that should, that should be a penalty. Why don't the referees go back and look at things in chronological order? 
Well, that's it, what they're supposed to do. Well, I know, but they, they only look course. at the one incident and go, did it hit his hand? Yes, okay, no goal. They don't look at why did it hit his hand? Well, you, it, I think it, one of the big problems that have come out of the weekend, really, is the fact that we've now taken away common sense from a referee. So a referee can't look at that and go, do you know what? You know, his arm wasn't that, was by his side, but he did use, his, he did use himself to try and extend his body to make it happen. He was trying to keep that out of the net with his hand. So it should be a penalty. Forget the law. That's what he was trying to do. The fact is it hit his hand, but he didn't try and use his hand to put the ball in the back of the net, Callum Wilson. So that's a goal. Give him the goal. They're not allowed to do that. They're so straight-jacketed by rules and protocol that actually they can't make common sense decisions. And that actually hinders a decent flow of the match and common sense understanding from everybody else about what is and what isn't the, the right way of applying the law. But again, we, we've all seen the push from Trent Alexander-Arnold. So how is that not a clear and obvious error? Because everyone has seen it. God knows. Everybody the good news is, is, is that Newcastle recovered and got a goal anyway and it ended up 1-1 in the game because actually they deserved it. First half, Liverpool were very good. Missed a host of chances in that game. Huge number of chances. And in the second half, they weren't particularly good at all and Newcastle eventually got their just... Uh, rewards. Why have Liverpool been so bad, Crookie? Because if you look at the statistics over the course of the last uh, few matches at Anfield, they've won one of their last 11 in all competitions there. Well, Danny mentioned Trent Alexander-Arnold, um, and I don't think he made much of a case in that game to be selected for an England recall. I think Newcastle tactically targeted that Liverpool right-hand side, and they had an awful lot of joy down their left. So I think it's a problem for Trent Alexander-Arnold. I think it's a problem for Liverpool this season. Their, their, their title success was built on their fullbacks bombing forward and, and almost becoming extra attackers because of the injuries to Van Dijk, because of the injuries they've had in midfield. They haven't been able to do that as much this season. I think Alexander-Arnold's confidence has been affected uh, by both being left out by England. I think that's probably why Jurgen Klopp reacted so badly to that call from Gareth Southgate, but also by the sheer volume of chances and goals that New- that Liverpool are conceding. They're not firing as much at the other end either. Sadio Mane's form has been really poor when you compare it to the heights that he hit last season. So I think they've got it all to do, Liverpool, um, to qualify for the Champions League, especially when you look at the number of points they've given away against the bottom six in the table at home. Five points from six games against the bottom six at home. Danny, if you were in that dressing room, what would you be saying? They haven't scored enough goals. Simple as that. You know, they, they've had great chances. Manchester City were guilty of that a little bit last season. You know, when they were creating chance after chance, and even when they were scoring highly, they were still missing a lot of chances. Aguero missed. Aguero could have almost had double the number of goals he scored last season. So Mane's well down. Firmino is well down. The midfield players are well down on goals. You know, Trent's not had the same sort of season, getting the same sort of assists and, and having the same contributions. Mm. Uh, Andy Robertson's the same. So I, th- I think it's about their, the amount of goals that they've scored and their goal threat that they don't really carry so much. You're thinking at the moment, well, if we can nullify Salah, that's pretty much job done. You know, whereas it used to be, well, that, we, you had to nullify four or five players yeah. because they were so fluid. You know, you look at, you know, Jota was on fire start of the season. Mr. T- I mean, he hit the corner flag. I mean, he had yeah, that my That was a great boot. chance, wasn't it? That was another oh, great chance. Had, they had, had so many of them in the game. It. He had my boots on. You know, it went so wide. It was ridiculous. Salah yeah. missed his chances as well. So he takes a lot of chances to score still, goals. He's still got so many goals this season. He's the only one still posting the same numbers, isn't he? You know, so he is. it's slightly worrying that they're creating all these opportunities and not scoring. I mean, Jurgen Klopp, to be fair, said that straight after the game. You know, they were, they were wasteful. If you miss this many chances, you can't expect to win games. Great for Joe Willock to come off the bench for the third time running and score a goal as a substitute. Big goal for him as well, especially bearing in mind he picked up a knock in training the day before. Um, I, look, Fernandez could have been sent off in this game for an elbow. I mean, there was a, a shout that he could have been red carded in the match as well. So that was a problem. But I do think that the, the weekend's best quote came after this game from Steve Bruce, who, uh, in reference to the sort of handball situation with Callum Wilson and uh, the Trent Alexander push, blah, 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 blah. He said, can we not make war own rules in the Premier League? Um, that was a terrible attempt at a Geordie accent. It was an attempt at a Geordie accent. I was just saying what he actually said, the actual words he said. Uh, I didn't really understand it, but I think he said, can we just not make our own rules in the Premier League? And obviously, we can't make our own rules in the Premier League because they're set by the IFA. Well, that, that's not strictly true. You have, your, you have your own interpretation 
because we've True. had that before. Okay. And, and so, we do, I suppose. I suppose yeah, so, so, you, so you can tweak it to however you want to do it. We've done it with VAR. No one went to the screen for however long when they were supposed yeah. to. We had it with the original handball law that was then changed halfway through a season. So you can tweak the laws and interpret them however you decide to. So we can have war own rules in the Premier League. <laughs> Stop doing that. Listen, don't, let's give, don't go to Newcastle anytime soon, Sam. Let's give Steve Bruce some credit because he's taking a kicking over the course of the season. But Newcastle, when they've needed to deliver, when they've needed to put points on the board, they've done that. Yeah, and it, you know they've done it. They've done very well. And Alan Sam Maxima has been absolutely brilliant, by the way. Uh, talking of uh, uh, teams that uh, have just about survived. Uh, relegation. Wolverhampton Wanderers thrashed by Burnley uh, by four goals to nil on Sunday. I mean, in any other given season, Wolverhampton Wanderers are heading only one way. I mean, the end of the season is coming at a great time for them, I think, uh, because they, I mean, they can't score a goal. They can't keep a clean sheet anymore. They let in three first half goals to Burnley. The defending in this match was nothing short of abysmal. They made Chris Wood look like Killian Mbappe and Lionel Messi at his peak rolled into one. I mean, I, I thought the bet of the weekend was under two and a half goals in that game because Burnley don't score very often. Wolves, if you say, have stopped scoring since Jimenez came, came off the pitch with that horrible head injury. But, I mean, their form has been woeful. And I just wonder what the atmosphere is like around uh, the Wolves training ground because we know from personal experience that Nuno Espirito Santo can be a spiky character with us in the media even when things are going well. I'd imagine he's a manager who takes defeat very badly and probably isn't the most upbeat of characters uh, when results are going away from them as they are they can't wait for the season to end but it's a big summer ahead I know Jimenez hopefully will be back and will be back to his old self but (laughs) there's no guarantee of that the young lad Fabio Silva they lavished an awful lot of money on him and and that doesn't look like money well spent at the moment everyone they bought has been poor in comparison to what they had before Traore's been poor. You know, his, his return for goals and assists, there's no doubt he's a fantastic athlete. He's, he's got pace to burn, but his end product, having improved last season, seems to have completely fallen away again. And, and he's not using his pace anymore, Alex. You know, I, I think I did, I did the Villa game and you just look at it and thinking, just knock it past your man. Because, you know, if, if you're, one of your biggest assets is your pace and, you know, it, we know, we know he's like an Olympic sprinter. He's absolutely rapid. You don't need flicks and tricks and skills. Just knock it past him. You know, he can give a fullback 10 yards and run and do that. Not once in the game did he do that. So, they, you know, I think they need a refresh. They need three or four players in, quality players. They've had three fantastic, up till this season, they had three fantastic seasons. They need a refresh, I think. And, you know, and they need that shot in the arm to get going again. Because, you know, Nuno's a decent manager. But if you'd have said to, to Wolves, Three seasons ago, whatever, you know, you finish, I don't know, was it seventh, seventh, or seventh, eighth, and then twelfth? That's magnificent for your first sort of three seasons in the Premier League. I think expectations after the last couple of seasons have gone up a little bit, maybe too high. Then obviously we've talked about it many times, but, you know, Doherty leaves, you know, not long before the end of the season. Jota leaves as well. And then Jimenez gets injured. Three key players that you take out, and then you have to tweak the way that you play. And then you had injuries on top of that. No, it's, it's, been, it's been a tough season for Wolves. As, and it's been another tough season for Burnley, but it looks as if they're going to get over the line and stay in the Premier League. And they should be congratulated um, for doing so because they are operating on a shoestring. I think I'd probably go... I mean, maybe Sheffield United have got a lower budget than them, but I reckon those two are in the bottom two when it comes to budgets in the Premier League. Yeah, and... That- <laughs> Maybe I was doing Chris Wood a disservice because I actually think he's a terrific striker. Um, and not just, he's not just a sort of bulldozer centre forward. Okay, he's great in the air. He's got great physicality, but he's actually got a decent touch as well. He's got an eye for goal. Um, I think he probably deserves to be playing his trade at a slightly higher level in the Premier League. Same could be said for Dwight McNeil and Tarkovsky. So there is a core there, Pope in goal, of, of a very good backbone. I suppose the question will be, can they keep hold of those players in the summer? We know there's been interest in Tarkovsky from Leicester and West Ham in the past. And are the owners going to give the manager? And that may well not be Sean Dyche because I think he will probably end up at Crystal Palace. The funds needed to regenerate that squad because you just get the feeling that Burnley are never too far away from a relegation battle and I think the main reason they've managed to steer clear of it season after season is because Sean Dyche is a very good manager I think West Brom are going to end up going down the plug hole because of that last minute goal look they might have gone anyway 
But the fact that Keenan Davis scores right at the very end of that derby where they're leading 2-1, going into the final few minutes, they're actually going up to the point where they've got 27 points, they're level with, with Fulham. And you, know, you can sort of see Brighton on, on the horizon. Now that's all dashed, it's all finished, it's all over. It's going to take a miracle now for them to stay up. It's going to take a miracle anyhow. You know, even with 27 points, you know, I still think it's going to be very, very <laughs> difficult for them. They've still got a chance. You know, Brighton are woeful at the moment. There's a good chance that Brighton might not win another game. You know, Brighton could end up on easily on, you know, 35, 36 points. Well, well Brighton have got Wolves, which is a major plus for them. Um, they've got Leeds, Wolves, West Ham, Manchester City and Arsenal. So you're right to suggest that Brighton yeah. might not get any more points. But even I suppose against Wolves. it's the Wolves game for them, isn't it? But, but even if they draw that, that's only one point. You know, they've still got to get points elsewhere. So they, they could end up getting maybe one or two points. And, and all of a sudden, they, is, is 35, 36 going to be enough? You know, that, that could be a huge problem for them. Yeah, that would be a real black eye for Graham Potter, wouldn't it? It would. Yeah, that looked a painful one. Their biggest problem is the goal scorer. Um, Neil Mopay, again, has missed a guilt-edged opportunity. He's just not prolific enough. I know for a fact they were looking at Ivan Tony last summer and decided in the end it was, quote, too big a risk. Well, I'll tell you what, I saw Ivan Tony at Bournemouth for Brentford at the weekend. He was absolutely sensational. His figures, 29 goals, 11 assists in 41 games at Brentford. And we've already seen from that very club that Ollie Watkins made the step up to the Premier League. I don't think it would be that big a jump for Ivan Tony. I think if they do stay up and Brentford don't go up, he's a player they should certainly go looking for because I, I take what Danny's saying about woeful. Their results are woeful. They weren't great against Sheffield United performance-wise either, but they usually play very well and, and just don't, don't convert their chances. So, but, but, but Okay, but that, we've been saying that all season. Graham Potter has seen that all season. not really done much about it in, in, by way of changing to get points on the board. We're now in the situation where they've only got 34 points. At this stage of the season, although that might not be as much of a concern because 35-36 keeps you in the league usually, they're actually the only team that's... They're hovering above the relegation. They're the next team to be targeted. So that is a bit of a worry. It's actually 35 points, really, because their goal difference is so much better than everybody else. So there's an eight-point gap, effectively, to Fulham. And I don't think Fulham will get eight points. It's not. It's still 34 points. It's just got a good goal difference. Yeah, but that means Fulham Fulham are going to have to get eight points to overhaul them. And I don't see that happening. a load of goals. I don't see that happening. Well, yeah, but but Alex, if you work that out, if Brighton lose the next five games, that means they've got a... Their goal difference goes down at least minus five. Yeah. If Fulham win the next three or four games... I'm suggesting that probably goes up by five. They've won four games all season, five games all season, Fulham. They're not going to win three of their last five no, games. But, but, if, but, if, but if they're, if they're no. to survive, if they're to get to 34 points, yeah, they'd have to win those goal, games. Goal difference is probably going to be the same by the time they get there. They won't, get, they won't get to 34 never, points. Never, never say never, Alex. Never say never. If you're going to come up with bold statements, at least, you know, do your mathematics before you... Well, no, but I think the goal difference swing between Fulham and Brighton is about 14 goals, isn't it? I haven't got the table in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that I'm Brighton on about minus six. 12. 12 goals. That's a lot of goals to make up. And Brighton don't really get hammered and Fulham yeah, don't but... really win handsomely. But if you win, it's plus one, minus one, is it? Win or lose, it's plus yeah. one, minus one. You can't, there's, there's no other way around it. Otherwise, you know. If, you if Fulham get to 34 points. So there has to be a Brighton don't get another point. Five or ten. They will be pretty much the same goal difference. So Fulham's fixtures are Chelsea away, lose. Burnley, Saints. Man Burnley United at home. Man United away, lose. I don't see, there's not seven Chelsea points Chelsea in between Champions Leagues, possible. Chelsea will get the job done to nil against them. He's got Fulham. Southampton as well, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, they're only on 36 points and they're lucky that there's three worst teams in them at the moment. They, they might win at St Mary's, but I don't trust them. I don't trust them to pick up the wins. What a catastrophe for Bert Leno it is. Arsenal nil. Uh, Everton won. It's an absolutely dreadful goalkeeping howler. Into the edge of the penalty area. Headed down well. There's another chance for Willock and he scored. He's done it again. Joe Willock has come off the bench. 
to steal an equaliser for Newcastle, and this time it counts. Out to the left, Chilwell, low ball into Werner. He can't miss from there. Seven yards out, strokes the ball home. He celebrates a rare goal for Chelsea. Now Osborne is in on the last defender. Goes for the early ball, looking for McGoldrick. Will it make for Brewster? It does, falls back to McGoldrick, and he rolls it in the back of the net. And Sheffield United lead at Bramall Lane. Tarkovsky and me. Moving forward once again, the corner, high into the penalty area, and there's the header, and there's the hat-trick from Chris Wood. Yeah, it's finished here, Leeds United nil, Manchester United nil. If the first meeting between the two was a sure free-flowing football, this was anything but... De Bruyne to take the free kick, right-footed by the byline, crosses the ball, it's headed in brilliantly! Emmerich Laporte beyond Hugo Lloris, and Manchester City are going to continue their love affair with the Carabao Cup. I knew I missed fans, I, I totally understood that I missed fans, but I probably never understood just how I missed them until five minutes before kickoff there. Because I'll tell you, what a racket, what a noise. Aston Villa 2, West Brom 2, in the second minute of four minutes added on stoppage time. Keenan Davis, the substitute, the striker for Aston Villa, poked it home. Arsenal nil, Everton 1. Um, I mean, Arsenal... Again, not very inspiring. And there's lots of moaning going on from Mikel Arteta about uh, VAR and offside, saying he can't explain um, the reason why Pepe's penalty was um, ru- ruled out or the penalty was ruled out because Pepe was just offside in the build-up to it. Well, if he can't explain, he should probably have watched more Premier League football because that's been happening all year. And also, I don't think it was a penalty anyway. Um, I think he his other problems are more start the fact that they don't look like scoring goals and they have a goalkeeper who actually we've mentioned on the podcast previously is not as good as the one that he sold and he's displayed that again with his display on Friday night yeah it was a dreadful goal to concede wasn't it I mean the, the celebration from Richarlison was slightly embarrassing uh, because it was it was it was a goalkeeping error you know he should have just put his arm in the air, maybe taking a high five from a teammate and walk back to the halfway line rather than doing a silly dance. But it was a good win for Everton. Leno, not good enough. Um, that's a position that I think they're going to have to address in the summer. They should never have sold Martinez. I've said before that Mikel Arteta took the easy option because he couldn't decide who was number one. Well, if he couldn't decide, then he's clearly not watching the same games that we are. But they're just in a state of flux, Arsenal. They're putting all their hopes in the, in the Europa League basket. I'm not convinced they'll beat Villarreal. I think Unai Emery is the master in that competition. He would love to put one over his former club. And if they do crash out of Europe in the semi-finals, there's every chance now with Leeds running um, that they're going to finish 10th. Um, they may finish 11th if Aston Villa managed to get Jack Grealish back and find some wins between now and the end of the season. It's been a dismal season for Arsenal and um, uh, Mikel Arteta is still dining out off that FA Cup glory from last season that seems a long time ago now six wins seven losses four draws at home Danny I mean that's unacceptable if you're an Arsenal manager a team a, a squad surely it's incredible how I've never really heard his name mentioned for the sack I mean realistically I mean it's been muted the odd time but if this was any other club, you know, if this was any other, the so-called big six we've heard about all this week, if that was any other the so-called big six in that position, you think it managers, manager would have been long gone. Manager would have think, been gone at Christmas. Do you think he absolutely loved the protest on Friday night? Because all of the Arsenal fans' anger was directed entirely, fairly and squarely at Stan Kroenke. And it sort of distracts from the fact that his team aren't very good. Yeah, well, I mean, you're probably right. Yeah. There, there is that, with, with, without a doubt. They, they haven't performed. You know, when, the first, when Arteta first took over, and was, oh yeah, he's, he's got this new brand of football. You can see what he's doing. I was never really convinced at the time. It took a little bit of stick for, for saying that, you know, especially for, from Arsenal fans. I was looking at well, how? Why is he so much better? You know, performances weren't they weren't vastly improved. I think Adrian Durham hit the nail on the head on Twitter on Friday night when he said that if Roman Abramovich was in charge of Arsenal, Arteta would have been fired five times by now. And he would. You know, and any other, as you say, so-called big six, he, he wouldn't be in the job. Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool, he'd be gone because they're, they're well below standard. Tottenham, Daniel Levy would have fired him. 
Yeah, it doesn't take much for Daniel Levy to fire anyone, does it, at the moment? Um, Everton, 1-0 winners. Obviously, the Richarlison goal was a, you know, a little bit fortunate. Squirmed underneath Leno, but it's a victory away from home for them, which is good. And actually, their first win at the Gunners in 25 years. It also puts them within touching distance of the top four. I mean, that conversation that a couple of weeks ago was just about whether West Ham and Liverpool, Chelsea and Leicester City could get those two places. Is that, is that conversation broadening out a little bit because Everton do have a game in hand over most of those fighting for a top four place, Danny. Yeah, but it only takes them to 55 points just above Liverpool, same as West Ham. There's still another win, you know, away from Chelsea. Mm. And as Alex has just said, you know, Chelsea beat Fulham. So that's two wins away from Chelsea with with four games to go. Not everything that Alex says is right. This is true. This is true. But I do believe he has a crystal ball. Um, (laughs) They've got a nice run in Everton. Villa, West Ham away. That looks tricky. Sheffield United, Wolves, two teams you definitely want to play now. And then Man City on the last day. I guess that West Ham fixture possibly is key. So they're going to have to, I mean, six games left. They're going to have to win four games, aren't they? Realistically, to get into the top four. That's going to be very, very difficult, I think. For, for Everton because their, their form yes they can be brilliant on one given on any given day but their form is a little bit sporadic and, and that's why they find themselves in, in, in eighth position at the moment yeah they haven't been doing that have they that's the key thing they haven't been putting runs together like that over the course of the season you know at the end of the campaign we see these runs sometimes it happens sometimes a team will get themselves into a, uh, a position which you didn't think was possible but ultimately Everton over the course of the campaign haven't been consistent enough it's definitely something that Carlo Ancelotti but if, if they finish the above summer. Liverpool it will be one of the biggest Massive. achievements Massive. in Everton's history for a long time because yeah, that they'll, hasn't they'll happened. down out on that. I don't remember the last time, time. That, that happened. Has anyone seen Hammers? Well, he played last Friday night, didn't he, against Tottenham? He was excellent. His, his, his consistency, though, again, you know, at the start of the season, one. I remember Adrian Durham penning a love letter to Hammers Rodriguez, and he was brilliant for the first, what, five or six games, but his inconsistency, I guess, is a microcosm of Everton. He's injured, wasn't he, as well? Didn't fancy it. Hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Finally, let's look at Leeds against Manchester United. This was 90 minutes of your life that you're never going to get back again. Uh, Nil-nil, <laughs> four-time score. Um, look, I'm going to spin it positively for Leeds United. They've drawn and beat Manchester City. They've won at Leicester. They've drawn nil-nil with Chelsea recently. Drawn nil-nil with Manchester United. Bielsa came out afterwards and said he can see an evolution in this team. And I can understand it because it is in stark contrast to what we were seeing at the beginning of the season, Danny, when your old club were brilliant, entertaining, fantastic, but losing games because they were being outscored by people. Yeah, but they still play exactly the same way. Look at what they did against Manchester City with 10 men. You know, they go for it in the last minute. They could have easily lost that game. They don't shut up shop. Leeds haven't changed the way that they play. I thought in the second, that the game was actually quite open. You know, it, it was end to end. There wasn't an awful lot of quality in the final third, but it was still end to end, you know, at times. So, I mean, I mean, Leeds' record is, is bizarre, isn't it? You know, 
114, uh, drawn five, lost 14, scored 50, let in 50. <laughs> you know, it's very, very strange. But they, they don't draw many games because they go for it. And, and I think that's what they did against Manchester City. At times, they're lacking a bit of quality. Rodrigo's been out for a while. Uh, Rafinha, who obviously is one of the, the better players there in, in terms of creating chances, he's been missing uh, for a few games um, as well. Bamford still misses big chances, you know, from time to time. I think when you look at his stats, and I think it was Dean Ashton did a fantastic piece about the amount of big chances that he misses, double the amount, I think, maybe even more so than the, than the big chances that Harry Kane misses. You know, and, and that's why you know Leeds haven't always outscored the opposition. But Bielsa isn't going to change the way that they play. They have to evolve next season. They have to bring in some quality because they've had three unbelievably good years in tents. You know, they blew it in the playoffs, but they were still very, very good up until you know sort of three, four games ago of that season. Then they got themselves obviously promoted, and they've done incredibly well this season. You've got to refresh that. You know, we've seen what's happened to Manchester City in the past. After three great seasons, you have a dip. Liverpool, three great seasons, you have a dip. It's very hard to go four and five in a row at that same intensity and that same quality. Um, Manchester United now currently on the second longest run in Premier League history away from home, unbeaten. Um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said in the second half, they steamrolled them. Did they? They passed them to death at times, but they never really created a plethora of chances. Melier in goal had a relatively comfortable afternoon. I thought Leeds did defend quite well. They showed Manchester United a, a lot of respect. They they sat back at times, but they made themselves difficult to break down. I thought United looked a bit jaded. They, they played Dan James in place of Paul Pogba. Didn't really work. Rashford, for me, wasn't quite at it. Greenwood didn't get on the ball enough, and it was a frustrating day for Bruno Fernandes. But they've got bigger fish to fry. That They're going to finish top four. They're probably going to finish second. So it's, it, for them, it's now all about this Europa League game against Roma, which I think is a difficult two-legged tie. If they can come through that, get in a final, get a trophy in the cabinet, finish second, it will be a successful season. And, and their away run is something to be proud of. And I suppose the difference now is that when Manchester United aren't at their best, they're still capable of picking up points. Whereas before, when they weren't at their best, they would lose games. So to use your phrase, I think they are evolving. And I think it has been a, a season that has gradually improved. I'm, I'm more confident now going into a Manchester United game, they won't lose to the likes of Leeds than I was probably six months ago. Bearing in mind that last season they were so far away from the, uh, the top two, uh, Danny, they're now in a, a Europa League semi-final. They're in a situation where they're second, pretty secure in second position. This has been a good season for Manchester United, hasn't it? I think it's been fortunate at times. You know, I think sometimes it's better to be a lucky, man- lucky manager than a good manager. I still don't look at a lot of United's performances and think, oh, they were outstanding. They've blown these, these teams away. Every now and then you get a really good performance. But I don't think they're at the levels of consistency. And when you talk about next season, when you expect Liverpool to come back stronger, you expect Chelsea to be better next season. Can Manchester United, are they going to be much better next season? What's going to make them much better next season? I don't see it. Harry Kane? No chance. Harry Kane's not going to Manchester United. I wouldn't if I was Harry Kane. I don't think they're in a realistic chance of winning the Premier League. Couldn't he be the reason why they did? I think a very, very big gamble, I think, for him. I think Manchester United still are too sporadic. So where do you want him to go? Where do you think he'll go? Well, I don't want him to go anywhere. Um, I'm not having Spurs fans, you know, all all over me. I want him to stay at Tottenham forever. He Um, wants him at City. No, if I was... (laughs) Chelsea would be the option. Why would you not go to Chelsea? Because they'll never, ever, ever tolerate that. If you think that you, <laughs> you'd well, get... Sol, Sol, get Campbell, Sol Campbell went from Tottenham to Arsenal. No chance. That will never happen. Well, again, never say never. If, if Harry Kane wants to win something, where's he got a better chance, do you think, next season? Chelsea or Manchester United? I'd, I'd probably say Chelsea. And that pains me as a Manchester United fan. But I think Danny's right. If he's going to leave Tottenham in pursuit of silverware, I think he will want to go somewhere do you, do you where think, he's do you think guaranteed. He do you think he cares, Sam, where he goes, if he's going to win the Premier League or he's going to yeah. win a major trophy? Yeah, I do. I think that he knows that if he goes to Manchester United, it'll always be a place for him back at Tottenham Hotspur in the future. Why, why does he if want he goes to Chelsea. Why, why does he want a place back at Tottenham? 
because he's been there. He's one of their own. That's the song. Oh. He's part of. The didn't he? Didn't, didn't he play? For, didn't, wasn't he Arsenal? Didn't he? Was an Arsenal fan. Then he goes to their academy as a kid. You are now after saying you didn't want Tottenham fans all over you. You've now basically advertised yourself for Tottenham abuse. But is that is that not a fact? I don't. I, 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 there was a picture of him doing the rounds in an Arsenal shirt many <laughs> moons ago. We've all worn kits of other clubs in our time. But not not with your biggest rivals like that. But again, Possibly I, I, not. If, if he wants to go and he wants to win trophies, he's not going to be thinking, oh, yeah, I can't go there because I might upset some Tottenham fans. He's not going to be walking down Tottenham High Street in 10 years' time. He's going to be living wherever he wants to live, in New York or all over the world or wherever it may be that he chooses to live. You know, he's not concerned about that if he wants if he's leaving Tottenham to win trophies he goes where he's going to go with the best chance and gets the most money well on that bombshell um, <laughs> we're all off to put a bet on Harry Kane going to Chelsea um, Alex thank you very much we'll see you on Thursday when we uh, look ahead to all the you weekend's will. Premier League action of course one thing we haven't mentioned yet and we probably should because of the fact that Manchester United didn't manage to beat Leeds today it does mean that Manchester City um, can win the title next weekend if they beat Crystal Palace and Liverpool beat Man United. Can, can we... Oh, that's a hideous <laughs> prospect, isn't it? <laughs> so, United lose to Liverpool and give City the title. Is that what you're saying? That, that could happen next weekend, yeah. Great. And that game's on Sunday just before I go on air on the boot room. Look forward to it. Do you want Sunday off next week? Yeah, I, I can feel myself coming down with a bit of a fever, to be honest. I was going to say, you, you might want to book some holiday, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> right, Alex, we'll be back with us on Thursday, maybe not Sunday. Uh, make sure you download the podcast and tell all your friends about the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport. Danny, thank you very much. Absolute pleasure, as always. Are you uh, celebrating tonight with a uh, glass of champagne, your former team's uh, Carabao Cup victory? Just a coffee. Just a coffee. Okay, I hope it's decaf. I did, a, and I did. I did have a piece of cake as well, so I've, I've pushed oh, well, the boat. Fair there. enough. That's it. If you're going to go, if you're going to go for it, you might as well go for it properly. Uh, right, that's it. We're all off to put a uh, little wager on Harry Kane crossing the London Divide. We'll see you on Thursday. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.